when I told my friend about this, and she was like, you know, this would be a really good thing to make public. And I was like, yeah, actually, it might be useful for the public. So I tweeted it, and within 12 hours, it had. 10,000 retweets and likes and it spiraled from there and I didn't really realize that this was something people liked and people were making use of there were so many messages coming in positive messages like this is awesome and then there was a journalist from New York Times who said she was in a meeting at Harvard and the presenter had mentioned this list and so that was really cool alhamdulillah so it's been it's been an awesome ride You can tell how confident someone is when they take a selfie with no filter. Welcome to the One Foot in the Sink podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. And she is a confident Muslim. It's Hira Hashmi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, my friends. Muslims. Muslims. Muslim lifestyle podcast. What do you think the podcast is about? I think it's about Muslims because you put your foot in the sink when you do a do. It's about a story called the Ghostbusters. So Foz, are you a filter kind of guy or no filter kind of guy? I don't like taking selfies full stop. But I've seen your selfies. You always got filters on, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I think my phone has this this feature that I don't know. I, I don't know what it's called, but it really makes your face look really nice. There is a technical makeup term for it. But I have no idea what it is. Yeah, I bet you know what it is. You know the settings. You love taking selfies. I don't actually. <laughs> I feel very self-conscious when I take selfies. So do I. Do <laughs> I. What, what about you, Hera? Are you a filter or no filter kind of person? Uh no selfies in general. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love Snapchat filters are nice because they put the flowers on your head and you feel like. A queen, so those are my favorite kind of filters. <laughs> you know, um, a friend of mine. We went for lunch one day, and we we're walking to the restaurant, and we saw this person just walking and you know just taking a selfie. And for us, it felt it felt very weird, but for her, it's completely normal, which is really strange. Oh yeah, I I've... think I'm just old. <laughs> no, I I I drive to campus uh, back and forth every day. And on the road, there will be people who at stoplights will just put take their phone out and. Do a Snapchat video or a selfie, and I'm just like, oh, making dua that today is not the day that I leave this dunya. Like, <laughs> please drive safe. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I don't know. Some people are very confident with yeah. taking selfies. I don't think I'm very confident with taking selfies. Just don't know why. I'm always self-conscious. Yeah, I was actually went to get a haircut today. Yes, I'm bald and I do get haircuts. Um, but um, glad to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but next, so somebody next to me was actually sitting there waiting for their turn, taking selfies, and you just peep over like, "What are you doing? Like, you just say they take selfies of yourself." First, I have a question for you because you're bald. Yeah. Do you take a selfie before and after the haircut? You see, you know, if you look any different. <laughs> no, because it's always the same. I thought so. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with the show. So, um, should we get into our opening question? You guys ready for it? Yes, I am well prepared as always. And as usual, I'm not very well prepared, so I'm going to think about the answer on the spot. So, the question this week is: If you could create an award for something, what would it be, and why? And as usual, Foz. Yay! Okay, so this one, I don't, yeah, I don't know why, but I, I struggled with this one. But um, 
I think I've got there. I've got an answer. So I would create an award called uh, Best Stereotypical Desi Car. Um, and then my thinking <laughs> behind this is... Uh, Hold on. Before you get on, you need to explain to people what Desi is. Typical Asian, like if you're from Pakistan or India or Bangladesh. Um, and living in the West. So when I was growing up, like my dad had a Toyota Corolla and then my uncle had a Honda Civic. And whenever you look, all the uncles and aunties, they all have Toyotas, Hondas. And it got me thinking, what's the best one? Like, why would they choose Hondas? And I think, I'm not sure if everyone can relate to this because this was back in the day. But yeah, I, my, my award would be, which one is the best? Like, what's the best one? Toyota Corolla, Honda Civic. I know Anise used to have an Honda Civic back in the day um, with his hero car. But yeah, that would be my award. Which one's the best Desi car? And what would be the criteria? So my ones would be like, yeah, I guess your typical is that how many people can you get into the car? Um, efficiency, long lasting. I remember like why I had to get Civic as well, because the parts are Japanese and they make them well and they last a long time. Did you have those gold tissue box in the back of the car? <laughs> no, that's another stereotypical thing. But yeah, that, that could be an added extra one point for gold tissue box. The gold tissue box has to be a mandatory requirement. Good shout. What about you, Hera? What would be your award? Oh, this should not come as a surprise, but it would be for the most groan-worthy pun. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very, very bad sense of humor, I've been told, but I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> I don't know. I just love wordplay. I think it goes back to being a linguistics major. I just, I enjoy that type of humor. And so I would kind of judge it based on how many groans you elicit in a room of people. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I like it. I'm trying to think of a pun, but I'm just throwing blanks. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, my award would be the award for the best Muslim lifestyle podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mashallah. Yeah, and I'll give it to myself. <laughs> to us, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You as well, us. <laughs> Maybe I can present it to you. So that means, you know, I'm not being too, um, what's the word? Selfish. <laughs> Uh, biased yeah biased yeah that's that's probably the word um yeah so first congratulations on the best muslim lifestyle podcast yeah thank you mate you could tell you were completely impotent i think hero had the best answer there she blew, blew us out the water as usual our guests usually have the better answer than us even though we <laughs> come up uh, with a it bit yeah. more time to think about the answer Cool. So we're going to move to our guest now. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Hira. We're glad to have you on. So you're a writer, the founder of the Muslim Condemn List, which we'll talk about a bit later. You've won the Muhammad Ali Confident Muslim Award. Today, we're going to hear your story. You want to find out more about the award, the Muslim Condemn List, your role on social media, um, and get your advice on community engagement for the Muslim youth. So thank you again, Shira, for joining us. You know, Jazakumullah Khair for having me on air. I'm really, really excited and I really relate to the one foot in the sink thing. So it's even more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so before we go into kind of the specifics around the award, the condemnation and other things, tell us about yourself. Tell us about you, your family, where you live. Okay. I was born in India. I was born in North India, Bihar, and I moved to the US when I was very, very young, like a few months old. So I've been here my whole life. Uh, we were in New Jersey for a while and then we came to Colorado, which is really funny because I'll go to other places and I'll tell them, I'm from Colorado and they'll be like wow there's Muslims in Colorado and I'm like yeah there is <laughs> not too big of a community but alhamdulillah we're very close-knit and pretty active or we try to be active alhamdulillah I'm currently a student at CU Boulder I'm studying molecular cellular developmental biology and linguistics I have no idea what I'm studying actually uh <laughs> 
<laughs> but alhamdulillah, I'm in my third year. And aside from school stuff, I like to be pretty active in the community, active online. And yeah. Nice. Foz, can you repeat what she studied? <laughs> Thanks, Anis. Um, no, some molecular something. <laughs> Can you say that really fast, Hira? Uh, molecular cellular developmental biology. Say that five times fast. She said it fast already. That's why I missed it. Yeah, good excuse. I, I'm just curious to know, um, how did you guys end up in Colorado? Uh, my dad's job. He, I think he was with a company. They had different branches and they sent him out to Colorado. And he was like, okay, sounds like a good opportunity. And actually... This was around the time of 9-11. So, I mean, not to get into that type of thing too much, but we felt like it would be a good idea to move here and for it to be a new start, inshallah. How do you think your upbringing has impacted you in your life in doing what you've done so far? It, it definitely started with my mom. So I did speak about this on Twitter a few days ago. My whole life is on Twitter, honestly. But uh, she is a stay-at-home mother, but that does... People often think that just means staying home and raising children when honestly, she does so much for the family and the community. And one of the things growing up that she really, really emphasized. So, I mean, she was our first Quran teacher. So she was teaching us Quran from day one, how to you know pray, how to fast and things like that. But also she exemplified what it means to just to live as a Muslim, not just be Muslim in name, but to live as a Muslim. So everything from, you know, inviting our neighbors over for iftar to going out to the homeless shelter and volunteering with them to going to the library and volunteering with them. So all these things she showed us, like this is something that you have to incorporate in your life as a Muslim uh, is to really serve the community, serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by being the best Muslim you can be, which includes all of these other things. It doesn't just mean, you know, uh, praying all the time it also has to do with your character so my need for this i i'm very blessed that she's somebody who affected me this way because you know you go into high school and you're in that phase where you feel like your parents are like the worst people on the planet um and you just want to be you know the cool kid at school but then you you get a little bit older and you realize my parents are the only people who are on my side and they were right all along so I got into college and I started trying to bring that into my life. So whenever I had the time between classes, I would go, like right now, I volunteer to teach uh, English to immigrant employees on campus. And then every Friday, I go to the hospital and volunteer in the ICU. So things like that. And she always encourages that. And she always pushes me to go out. And she's like, if you're doing something for the sake of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, I have full trust in him. So it really started from there, I would, I would say. Um, it's really good to get an insight on how that impacted you in the way you are right now in terms of uh, you going in the community and what you've done yes. so far. And I think that would be a good segue to talk about the award you received. So can you tell us a bit more about the award you received? Yes. So in April, I was contact contacted by Sheikh Omar Suleiman from Yaqeen Institute. And they're an Islamic research institute that was I believe founded just last year. And what they were doing is they were looking at, they wanted to really focus on the youth and look at people who had kind of done something for the community. So I was one of the applicants and Alhamdulillah in April, I got to go to the Iknamath convention, which if for those of you listening who don't know what that is, that is the largest convention of Muslims in the US. So there's like 30,000 Muslims in one place. It's great. So I got the opportunity to speak there. And that put me in the running for an award called the Muhammad Ali Confident Muslim Award every year. And this was the first year that they did this. They would pick one person to uh, kind of win that award, which kind of is an award for this person is extending the legacy of Muhammad Ali through community service and social justice. And Alhamdulillah, I was able to 
uh, win that award. I don't know what what I did really, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I just I tweet a lot. That's what I do. But uh, two weeks ago, I got to go to Dallas and meet with the daughter of Muhammad Ali, the daughter of Malcolm X, kind of talk to them about what it means to be a Muslim in America and what it means to uh, uh, to work towards so- social justice and. Yeah, it was it was really awesome. It was a great experience. It feels like a blur. I still don't believe it, but alhamdulillah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so I had a question. You, you said you went to the ICNA, was it ICNA conference? Yes. What, 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 did you, what did you speak about? So it was about the project, the Muslims Condemn List. So it was in, the convention was in Baltimore because they have two conventions every year, one in Chicago and one in Baltimore. And so I got to go to the one in Baltimore and it was a 10 minute TED talk style lecture on the project and how I feel like it's 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 something that's useful for the community, how the community can use this as a resource and bringing it back to why we have to do things like this and why we should always be very active in the Muslim community. So that was that the first speech you've ever done? On that level, yes. Before then, I had given not really speeches, but, you know, little lectures here and there. My dad's very involved with the interfaith community in Boulder because the Muslim community is quite small. So we're very well acquainted with the Jewish community and the Christian community. And especially in the past year, we've been holding a lot more open houses for people to come to and get to know us. And my dad somehow, uh, quote unquote, volunteers me to be the MC or <laughs> give a little <laughs> bit of a thing. And I, and I understand why, because it's nice for them to see, you know, here's a young Muslim, a female Muslim, and she's very outspoken spoken about her faith so i do get that aspect of it but i kind of got started there but never on a formal scale that that was no notes no present powerpoint it was very ted talk style and it, it was it was really scary <laughs> but have you have you had any formal training in terms of public speaking no no not at all i despise public training or public training public speaking (laughs) (laughs) but you were very good and i've seen the speech and it's actually a very very good speech and i will include the link uh, link to the speech in the show notes can you just talk us through if anybody else is going through this and how did you prepare for that what kind of mindset did you have and what kind of stuff steps did you take to prepare for the speech I had a, I think it was an eight or nine day heads up. So I got my ticket booked. And after that, it was a rush because also that was around the time of midterms. So it, it first, I got everything else out of the way. I did all my chores. I cleaned my room. For some reason, before something big happens, I always love to clean my room. It's great. And my mom's like, maybe we should, you sh- we should put you under pressure more so you'll clean your room. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, so that was sort of the mindset. I did a lot of uh, the hajjad. Well, not a lot, maybe twice, but that's a lot. I think for me, um, I did, I did the hajj, and then I kind of put myself in this mind frame, like Alhamdulillah, I have this opportunity, and it's a privilege to have this opportunity. So I put in a hundred and ten percent. I contacted other applicants who were, who, I knew one brother. We had gone to Sira intensive together two years ago, and he had actually done the confident Muslim speech at Chicago in Chicago. So I contacted him. And I got a lot of advice from different people. I. Uh, sent the speech to many different people in the community who I knew were public speakers and could have good feedback. And then I kind of sat down and was like, okay, bullet pointed everything. And somebody was like, don't memorize the word speech for sp- or word for word, uh, because it won't sound natural. Just have bullet points on kind of the topics you want to talk about, and then just memorize what you're going to talk about in your transitions. And then it, it, if you do that, you'll be fine. And that's what I did. So that I found that very helpful is just memorizing the bullet points because you're an you're an expert on yourself. So there's no way you could say something wrong. <laughs> so I went up there and that's that's that was that was a process. 
That's great advice. And the other thing I just wanted to touch on, and we, we kind of brushed over it, but you know, you, you got to sit down with the daughters of Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X, and these are amazing, inspirational mm-hmm. people. Like, how was that dinner? Like, what? Like, I don't know how I'd be feeling around that. And just, you know, did you get to talk about them and their childhood, their bringing up? How was the dinner? It was beyond words. It was, well, so I flew in that morning and I got to have lunch with them and some of the or- other organizers, so Sheikh Omar Suleiman, his wife, the daughters of Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X and other organizers who had put the dinner together. So that was when I really got to speak with them one-on-one. And I say speak because I was just mostly stare- sitting there staring slack <laughs> at them. But they had such wonderful stories about growing up and especially like the daughter of Muhammad Ali, her name is Rashida. She was talking about how every person she's met who talks about her father, they always have a story about him because Muhammad Ali, he was such an impersonable man. He he never made anyone feel, you know, like he never made anyone feel like he was better than them. And we all, everyone had a Muhammad Ali story like, oh, I saw him at the mosque or I ran into him at a gas station. And that was one thing. She was like, it started from the heart. You could see his sincerity and just hearing stories of his life. When it, 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 That's what it really came down to. All that he accomplished, they did mention, you know, later uh, in the dinner, but at that lunch, they they really talked about the home life and what he was like as as a person, as a father. And that was that was amazing to hear. Trying to hear it from from their perspective must be really insightful as well. Yes. Okay. And so, um, moving on to the condemnist. So, tell us about that. What is the condemnist, and how did you come about it? It started last year in October. This was October of 2016. I was in a history class, a European history class, and they were covering. We had a unit on um, religion because religion is very intertwined with the history of Europe. And one of the things that came up was the Crusades. And there was a student sitting next to me and we got into a little bit of a argument. And, you know, you hear this all the time in media. Every time there's an attack that is committed by a Muslim, there tends to be this idea that Muslims aren't doing anything about it or they're very quiet or they're not condemning it. So our conversation revolved around that. And I tried to show him like, you know, first of all, it's not right to hold us to that standard. And second of all, we are doing this. But he, the student was somebody who was very... Uh, strong in his opinion. So I got a little bit upset. Uh, honestly, I got a little bit of a, a little, oh, a lot upset, actually. I went home and I didn't know what to do. I was like, you know, it's so easy. These people who say this, and it's not just him. There's a lot of people who have a lot of influence. They have a huge following and they believe this. They believe, you know, where's the Muslim community? They're so silent. So I sat down with the idea of, you know, maybe I'll just look up a few public statements by uh, prominent scholars and send this to him. But as as I started looking this up, I realized there was a lot more out there than I initially thought. I even was surprised to myself. So I started kind of compiling this in a spreadsheet. I love data and I love making data look nice. And so I just opened up Google spreadsheet and started inputting. And before I knew it, it was getting longer and longer. And within three weeks, it was over 700 pages. And how are you finding all these comments? A lot of Googling. Some people thought I was using a, a web bot or something. I'm sorry, I'm not a computer person. So <laughs> please correct me if I'm using a weird lingo. But it's just a lot of Googling. Like Muslims condemn, Muslims dislike, Muslims speak up against uh condemning terrorism, things like that. And one link led to another and you find I was going, nobody on Google, almost nobody goes past page one. I went to like all the way page 10. (laughs) And so that that is deep research. (laughs) Very deep, very deep. Just, you know, you're on Wikipedia and then one link takes you you to another and you're down a rabbit hole. So that's what happened. And (laughs) when I told my friend about this and she was like, you know, this would be a really good thing 
to make public. And I was like, yeah, actually it might be useful for the public. And she's like, you know, just tweet it. That's what anybody does when they want to make something public is you tweet it. So I tweeted it. And within 12 hours, it had 10,000 retweets and likes. And there was somebody from Teen Vogue who contacted me and it spiraled from there. And I didn't really realize that this was something people liked and people were making use of until, you know, until a few days later when, you know, there were so many messages coming in, positive messages like, this is awesome. I'm definitely going to save it and use it. And then there was a journalist from New York Times who said she was in a meeting at Harvard and the presenter had mentioned this list. And so that was really cool. Alhamdulillah. So it's been, it's been an awesome ride, Uh, some uh, road bumps here and there, but definitely uh, an awesome, awesome ride. So where is the list now and how has it developed? Yes. So in the months following, following, I was reached out to by the Bridge Initiative at Georgetown University. And this is what they do. The, the Bridge Initiative works with people trying to uh, combat Islamophobia. And their mission is to really educate the public about you know, Islam and, and misconceptions and things like that. So they were like, this is something that they were actually in the works of doing. They had also a list of maybe you know 600 links or sources of different Muslim organizations condemning and they're like it would be awesome if we could put our information together and I was like yeah that's awesome so the spreadsheet and the website actually I skipped out on a few details there were two volunteers <laughs> there's it's all a blur at this point but when the spreadsheet first went viral there was there were two web developers from Nigeria who messaged me and they were like hey we're making a website right now with your data and I was like oh wait what <laughs> And so it became a website in MuslimsCondemn.com. So the Bridge Initiative picked that website up in the spreadsheet and it's become a part of their initiative. And inshallah in the future, we're hoping to kind of find ways to display the data in a more visually appealing way. So one idea they had was to make an interactive map so you could kind of see the different locations of different instances of condemning and then look at, you know, frequencies and things like that. So it's a lot more visually appealing rather than just you know, a spreadsheet that kind of lags your computer down. No, that's actually a very good idea, especially the map mm-hmm. idea and interactive map idea. You know, unfortunately, these incidents happen. And if you had that tool readily mm-hmm. available, you can just tweet it out. And so people can see that, yeah, the Muslim community yes. is condemning. I just went to find out. So how does a, how do you get a bona fide condemn? For example, like, can I just say I condemn it and uh, qualify? Or is there any process? How, how does it work? You know, it would have been better when I first made this to have those uh, requirements because at the time I was just looking at any Muslim, any person who said they were Muslim and they were opposed to any attack or any terror attack or ideology of terrorism and violence. Uh, now the on the website, there is a feature where you can submit a case. We don't have any, I mean, there's everything. I collected everything from even tweets. So there were a lot of you know Muslim leaders who tweet. They're like, you know, this is not okay. Uh, to full-on statements so we haven't really gone into the details of like what we're looking at when we look for things like this that's that's a really good point you bring up and i will definitely think about that in the future have you had any backlash from the list yes there is there is some and i can honestly say that most of the backlash is constructive criticism and this kind of goes back to the idea of should we even have to do this right because this is a standard that right. I think only the Muslim community is held to, and maybe to an extent other minority communities, where we, where one person represents all of us, and we're all held accountable for the actions of a few people. And so when the list first came out, there were some Muslims who were saying, you know, Hera, you're only perpetuating the idea that we need to uh, be resp- held responsible, you know, all 1.7 billion Muslims should be held responsible for just a few people you're only perpetuating that idea and that only you know instead we should be telling people you shouldn't we shouldn't 
have to answer to a question like that in the first place. And whereas I do understand from a logical level, you would assume that people understand that. But the reality of the situation is, is that when you're in a minor, when you're a minority in a community, people will look at you as either a positive or negative example of an entire group. And I feel this when I go out onto campus, I feel like I have to be extra nice, extra polite because if I do something that's, you know, maybe I'm having a bad day, I'm a little bit rude to somebody who's never met a Muslim before, they may attribute that to an entire group. And it's definitely not fair. It's not logical or rational, but that's human nature. You know, I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a molecular biology major. I don't know much about human nature because I look at genetics, but I mean, <laughs> that is, that is part of it. You should cut them up and, and analyze them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> CRISPR-Cas9. Oh man. I condemn that, Anise. <laughs> So I understand that from a, that perspective, but when we answer people, the people asking why don't Muslims condemn in the first place aren't people, not to like all, again, paint them with a broad brush, but they're not usually people, because I did try this with the student, they're not usually people who will internalize that argument that, you know, hey, this is not a question that should be asked in the first place. So I think that we have to work on both ends. We have to be like, okay, hey, first of all, you're spreading straight up lies. The Muslim community is very active, but at the same time, we have to look back at the root of the problem, which is why do you think that it's okay to hold all Muslims responsible for something they didn't do in the first place? So it's something that we have to work on on both ends. I think it's really fascinating, especially the way it all started. And, you know, we typically try steering clear or kind of political and it's kind of touches on that. But what I kind of really love about the the way it started is like the, the confidence of yourself is just kind of someone brought this up and I want to do something about this. It's just that action and that mindset. So tell me about what happens at the end. Like, um, have you gone back to this person that brought it up initially? Uh, I did run into this person once more and he had heard about the list because CU Boulder had kind of, I don't know if they tweeted about it or something, but professors found out, students found out, and he he seemed apologetic, uh, more on the front of being impolite, but maybe not on the front of, of apologizing for his viewpoints. So he was like, hey, I'm sorry if I was a little bit rude or something. But, you know, you can still kind of be like, hey, this person still believes what they believe. And you can only do so much. And that's the thing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves the hearts of people whom he will. So, But we still have to do our part of trying, but it doesn't always guarantee a result. But at the same time, this action it did, I feel like it helped so many other people. So even if it, may, it maybe didn't change his mind, it did encourage other people. And, and that's, you know, that's what matters for me. It's really interesting. And I want to kind of move it on to, you You've also previously wrote some books as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So this was back in the day when I had far too much time on my hands and too many stories in my head, which is never a bad thing. But <laughs> I think this was maybe middle school and high school. I wrote three books and they were all published through a company that published fiction books by young authors. So this was their uh, forte. And it was it was something that I really enjoyed doing because I feel like I'm not someone who's very eloquent. And I definitely do think writing helps me put words to thoughts that are jumbled. And it helps me make sense of a lot of things. I've always been someone who enjoys writing essays more than taking exams, which is really weird. But and so it kind of began as a process like that especially when you're in high school middle school high school you feel disenfranchised everyone you feel like you don't fit in and I'm like well everybody actually feels like that everybody feels like they don't fit in but writing was sort of a a catharsis for me. It helped me get my ideas out. So I started writing and I wrote three books and they're all fiction books. Now I look back and I'm like, I cringe. I'm like, oh my goodness. this Because <laughs> obviously when you're 13, it's not going to be great. Uh, Nobel or not. What's the writing prize? Pulitzer. Pulitzer Prize worthy. But it was, it was a good experience. And I really do 
when I look back, it I'm glad that I did it. And I at the time I wrote fiction books just for fun. And when I started getting older, I was like, I realized, especially having younger sisters, the type of media they consume on a daily basis. And I felt like it was something, it would be something good to have maybe young adult books where the main characters and the heroes happen to be Muslim. It didn't have to be anything that's very preachy or anything, but it kind of show young kids who are reading this like, hey, it's you don't being a Muslim does not prevent you from having these adventures and saving the world and solving mysteries and things like that. And so when I talked to my publisher about this, there was a little bit of attention regarding, you know, it, is there an audience for this? Will this sell? Because in the end, for them, it's more, you know, what's what's going to sell. And at that time, I was like, you know, even though it's such a small audience, because when we look at Islamic books, usually they're either children's books or they're nonfiction books that kind of are on the side of academia. And there's not really a field of, you know, Islamic fiction, especially Islamic sci-fi, which I think would be super cool. And so, (laughs) so I kind of stopped writing at that point, but I still had all these ideas of, you know, Muslim kids, they're going to go visit the moon and save the world or something. And now that, uh, uh, you know, being in college, I, and my, my sisters are older and in high school and they're reading young adult novels, I feel like this is something that's definitely a necessity. So I have an intention, or inshallah, I have the intention of writing something like this in the future, if time allows, because I definitely do think it is necessary to have these alternate uh, or alternative narratives to young, impressionable people, especially in this country, where oftentimes the only type of Muslim you'll see in media is a villain or somebody who's uneducated or as, you know, comic relief, like comedic relief. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I do think there is an audience out there for it. And inshallah, I'm hoping to pen a few novels um, along those lines. And it sounds really exciting and you keep us updated on that. And you're, you're right. I mean, when I think about, you know, books that give my son's reading, like Harry Potter, for example, you know, if he feels reading like a Muslim focused one or something like that, he'll be so much yeah. more engaging for him. I mean, he can relate to it. Yeah, because kind of growing up, that's what I saw is any representation of somebody who looked like me in media was always very negative. And you get this idea of, oh, you know, I want to be a good person because of my faith, not despite of it. Right. And and it's very difficult sometimes when you see these TV shows and we're always a terrorist and I'm like, oh, yay, shocker. And so and it's like we can be heroes, too. Of course, we have Muslims in every aspect of life. We have Muslim lawyers and Muslim detectives and Muslim police officers. And you kind of want to I want to bring that to the forefront instead of this uh, continuously perpetuating idea that we're all very this one type of character. Yeah, look forward to hearing more about that. Inshallah, inshallah. The other thing we wanted to talk about as well was your role on social media. So you mentioned a, a couple of times being on Twitter and tweeting about mm-hmm. things and reading your tweets and Twitter, which is where I originally saw the work you're doing and what, what you've done in the community. And um, you seem to be a very kind of like a role model, kind of defender of Islam. And even with the condemnness, you showed that also kind of approaching it in a lighthearted way. So tell us a bit more about yourself on Twitter and how you use it to spread some positive messages about, about Islam. Oh, subhanAllah, definitely overestimating what I do, but a sentiment appreciated nonetheless. Alhamdulillah. But I, I mean, I got more active on social media after my post went viral because there were a lot of people who had followed and you kind of feel this, oh, I have to keep giving them something new. And I had this discussion with my parents, you know, and they're very concerned. Why are you on your phone all the time? You know, you're going to get sick because you're on your phone. <laughs> and they were like, you know, you may feel like you don't deserve it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you, it's a privilege. It's really a privilege to have so many people willing to listen to what you say. And she's like, you, especially my mom, she was like, use this for something that's good. If you have the platform, you've been giving the platform, instead of questioning why, use it in a way where it brightens people's day. 
if it doesn't brighten their day, at least educates them or is something of value, right? Or it makes them laugh with my weird puns. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's the way I kind of approach it is because oftentimes on social media, you feel this dis- distance from the other person on the other side. You feel like you can say a lot of things that you normally wouldn't say in real life. And, and, and at first it was hard, especially after the condemnments went viral. There were a lot of people who were, you know, attacking Muslims. They were like, you know, you, it's not enough. You guys are still this and that. And you get riled up and it's very easy to abuse your platform and kind of respond to them in a very rude way. And in the beginning, this was a problem. Sometimes still is. I feel this itching need whenever somebody says something that I don't like to respond to them in a very sarcastic and witty way. And I always have to hold myself back and be like, it, it's not worth it. And would I do this to somebody in real life? And so that's, I'm, I'm still... I'm still learning. I definitely have those moments, but I try to approach it in a way where it's like, okay, I'm in a room full of people and it, what I'm, what I'm saying is it goes back to like kindergarten basics. What I'm saying is it thoughtful? Is it necessary? Does it give something to the pers- other person? And it, is it beneficial for the internet? That's what I go through. I have a few questions on social media. I have a very strange relationship mm-hmm. with social media. I try to like it, but I just usually end up walking away from it. And in your case, you seem to have quite a lot of followers. Do you feel pressure that you have to say something every every day or a certain amount? How, how do you manage that? Yeah, you do. Uh, and there are times where you feel like you have to keep up with everybody else because everybody has this itching need to comment on everything. And I just recently learned like, you know, sometimes wisdom there's wisdom in silence you don't have to comment on every single issue and there's still going to be people like if i post about some group of people who are being oppressed uh, there'll there'll be always muslims and non-muslims they'll respond like why aren't you talking about this why aren't you talking about that and i'm like i'm only one person and i can only talk about so much you know and so it's for me it it is kind of become a daily routine and, but i try to do it in a way where it's i'm i'm coming on here and it's and it is for myself as well like I want to do it. Not that I, it's not like I have an alarm where it's like, Hey, Hira, you have to tweet. <laughs> but I try to do no, it in a way where it's like, I tweet when I want to. What's your most memorable tweet? Memorable tweet? Yeah. Probably my condemn list one. <laughs> <laughs> when you got pinned up. Yeah, pinned up there, pinned up there. I've had some other tweets go viral. I think there was one tweet where I was, I mentioned just because I heard my dad say, and I was like, you know, I don't, li- I don't like to put my parents on there too much because I do want to protect them and their privacy. And some things you have to keep for yourself, um, some memories. But there was one about how my dad, he loves my mom's voice so much. He'll have her record the recitation of the Quran <laughs> and he'll listen to it on his work uh, drive home. And I put that and people really like that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so some uh, I mean, it's a wide variety of things. People ask, what do you tweet? I'm like, uh, sometimes social commentary, sometimes just whatever's in, in my head. And I, that's the other thing is being genuine. Yeah. How do you deal with internet trolls? You mute them. Let them scream into the void forever. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't it really rile you up sometimes? It like, does. Because you still read them at the end of the day, right? Yes. Yes. Unless you mute them, then you can't see anything. But I think my rule of thumb now is if it's a troll where it's like something really, really ridiculous that it's almost 
parody. Sometimes I'll retweet it with a witty comment or something. But if it's something very, very hateful, or if if I know it's somebody, because you can tell by the way they write, if they're asking a question for the sake of sincerity, I get a lot of messages, people asking about hijab, people asking about Islam, people asking about this and that. And, and you can tell, it's just like in real life, when you can tell when someone's asking a question out of sincerity or a willingness to learn, even if they are a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit scared of Islam, but you know, I, I want to learn more. Those are the responses that I think do necessitate a response. But if it's a comment that's flat out hateful or you, if they're just trolling, usually it's best to let them go. Good advice. Yeah, that's true. We need to work towards wrapping up. So one of the things we wanted to ask mm-hmm. you for your advice was because you take part in the community and you do a lot of community uh, reach type of projects, uh, what advice would you give to a young Muslim who wants to be a more active part in their community? Not mm-hmm. necessarily a Muslim community, but just do something good. Yeah, so start local. I think when we're young, we're disillusioned and we feel like we want to go out and do all these big things. Like I'm going to go to Peru and do you know a medical clinic or something. You have all these big ideas and change is small. You know, and, and we look for this big dramatic type of global change, but it's always at, at a small, a smaller level. And so I think starting small, you don't have to go out there and be like protesting all the time or anything like that. But starting small and looking at what are the needs in your specific community. Um, and using, uh, taking advantage of your school. My school, we didn't even realize, I didn't realize until later, maybe junior or senior, that they actually had you know, a list of uh, different places to go volunteer. And so I went to them and they're like, oh yeah, the hospital right across the street is looking for volunteers. So I went and signed up there. So uh, starting small and using the resources around you because they you, you you would think oh you know what how can my school help me with that but your school can actually do a lot of volunteer work, work and help you with that and then especially in college it gets a lot bigger there's so many organizations specifically dedicated to volunteering if you're going into college and even not you know uh most cities have a library go to your local library talk to them about what the need, their needs are and how you can help. Go to your local homeless shelter, go to your local hospital. And these are kind of the ma- big places that you can start off with. And aside from that, I mean, that's more of a practical tip, but just kind of realizing, you know, you're not, it's not about waking up and changing the whole world. It's about just waking up and trying to make even one person's day better. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah, because w- one of the things Foz and I keep talking about is what we probably don't do enough in our own Muslim community. You know, we just go to the mosque and pray and then mm-hmm. we're out kind of thing. We, we, we don't do much in, in order to be actively engaged with the mosque and do outreach programs. And, you know, it's, I think as Muslim youth, it's an area where, I don't know, it's, it, we always associate the mosque to be a place where the old people go, you know, and yeah. they all do their <laughs> thing. And uh, we just turn up and pray and, and then we're out of there. So, yeah, it's hopefully, inshallah, it is changing. Especially with our generation, it's changing. But I guess we probably, we as a Muslim youth, probably need to do a bit more. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to our next section of the podcast, which is the quick fire round. Um, so we're just gonna ask you the question and just just tell us the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, that's stressful. <laughs> Trust me, it's the questions are very easy. Okay. Not that they're meant to be hard. So here, for the first question, public speaking or Twitter rant? Twitter rant. Really. I, I dislike public speaking. It stresses me out. And when I get up there, I feel numb and I'm sweating. It's just, it's not a good place to be. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you come across very confident. Like even throughout this interview, you seem to be a very, very confident person, mashallah. And I would just think that you'd be more of a public speaker. Yeah, you want to know a secret? It's confident doesn't actually exist. <laughs> Confidence is all in your head. <laughs> if you pretend like you're confident, you become confident. <laughs> that's all it is 
Okay, so the next the next question is: Would you rather make a movie or write a book? Make a movie. I will honestly. I've been on a superhero movie binge for the past few days, and now I'm just imagining you know niqabis and hijabis kind of flying around and saving people. So <laughs> <laughs> probably a movie. You wouldn't enlist your best friend and get your younger siblings to be actors in your movie. Maybe from yeah, a younger age. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you've done it before. I'm sure you've maybe done recorded a movie before. Ah, uh, that's a secret. I can't tell you. <laughs> so I spoke to uh, your best friend. She said... Well, <laughs> that's how you found out. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I can see oh, you. Just- it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. Okay, so... so <laughs> this was when we were like 10. And I got a video. Honestly, my YouTubing probably started back then if I knew how to upload. But we were like 10 or 11. And... We had this great, so it started because my dad owned this car that looked like a police car uh, in the in the area. So we're like, hey, let's have, let's <laughs> make a short movie about, um, I don't even remember. It was like two girls going missing. And so my sister, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was so embarrassing. <laughs> and we recorded it. And at one point, I think my sister fell down the stairs or something. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, wow. oh, that was. I need to see this. You need to upload this. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> maybe we'll see like the unedited version on your YouTube channel coming yeah. out very soon. Yeah, I honestly Oscar-worthy acting. Yeah. It was great acting. Yeah, and you can thank your best friend for this. <laughs> oh, she's probably just upset because I made her play the mom. And she was upset. <laughs> she was like, no. And I was like, well, you look the biggest out of all of us. So you could be the mom. <laughs> <laughs> she can get best supporting role then. Because she supported us in getting that story. So that was good. <laughs> so um, let's move on to the next questions. What's your favorite book? Harry Potter. Ah, Potter. Uh, very, very, very basic. I know I should have great taste in literature. Maybe I should say The Great Gatsby or something. I don't know. <laughs> Sound very intellectual. <laughs> All right. Okay. The, the final question is chicken biryani or lamb biryani? Lamb biryani. Nice. I love red meat. Yeah, same here. Definitely. Yeah. So, Hira, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to go into one final question. The final question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, man. Okay. That's a really deep philosophical, philosophical question. You know, I want to go with the super Muslim answer and be like, it doesn't matter what the people remember me as, as long as Allah SWT and the angels do remember me. It's a very good answer. Yeah. Super-powered Muslim. <laughs> so, uh, super Muslim level 9000, need some Jannah points over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Hira, what's next for you? What's next? I need to finish my degrees and probably get a job and I just continue doing what I enjoy alongside supporting my family, inshallah. So probably going to write some books, inshallah. Muslim Star Wars. Muslim Star Wars, yes, yes. Uh, have you seen the new one? <laughs> Did you just say degrees, like a plural? Yeah, because the molecular bio one and, and the uh, linguistics one. Oh, wow. Yeah, didn't you catch all of them? Yeah, no, inshallah. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to maybe work for a year, depending. I don't know, my degrees are very... They're, usually people do them if they're going to law school or med school and I'm like I need a break so I'm probably probably going to work in a lab for a year and I'm hoping to go to graduate school I really want to continue I, I hate finals but you know when it comes down to it I enjoy studying so inshallah I'm hoping to continue my studies and continue with the other work that I do which is Twitter rants but also uh, community service and <laughs> hopefully more public speaking inshallah or not <laughs> inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> And um, 
where where can our listeners find they you? can find me usually wallowing on twitter cave Hera, and also on youtube i do some videos once in a while about different topics related to being a muslim or not but yeah awesome and it's great for kind of having you on, hearing your story, getting some advice and found it really interesting and I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for coming on the show and wish you all the best. And I'm going to be looking out for those books, the Harry Potter Muslim and the Star Wars Muslim. Okay, Jazakumullah khair, inshallah, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair for having me on. It was an honor to speak with both of you and get to know you more. Alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and your families. Thank you. Okay, inshallah. Assalamualaikum. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Not over just yet, everyone. Of course, we've got to plug ourselves. We hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some gold nuggets of wisdom. Remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you wanted to give us any feedback, praise, or if you have any suggestions for guests, send us an email to info at onefootinthesink.com. You can also find us on Facebook, just search One Foot in the Sink, or Instagram at One Foot in the Sink, or Twitter at the number one foot in the sink. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and look out for new episodes every other Monday or fortnightly, or bi-weekly, whatever you want to call it, let's go with two-weekly. That's me all done, see you guys soon!